0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. This is going to be an awesome episode, and we're going to be diving into a somewhat controversial topic. Uh, If you're tuning in... in on YouTube here. Uh, welcome back. You know you'll find this uh, podcast also on our YouTube channel over on Iraq Veteran eighty uh, eight eighty eight. But if you're tuning back in on the normal podcast, thanks for joining back in. And, uh, there's been sort of some controversial subjects floating around. Well, a multitude of different subjects, but, yep. uh, the one thing we're going to sort of dive into in today's podcast, um, is the whole, whole talk of, you know, military elitism and sort of that mentality and how it ties into, uh, you know, the, the transfer from, you know, going from being in the military versus going back over to the civilian world. Um, also, A lot of statements that get made uh, by various military members, too, that uh, sort of opens a little window into that idea a little bit. Before we get rolling here today, I'd like to give a shout out to the show's sponsor, Koi CBD. They have some amazing CBD products, oils, bombs, gummies flower, all kind of awesome stuff. I love their Delta eight products. I have terrible back pain and it really helps with my back pain. They also do some amazing dog treats. So if you've got some dogs that are crazy like mine, or maybe you've got an elderly dog, that's got some bad back pain or something that will definitely help them sleep and get around a lot better. These guys are super veteran and police friendly, really awesome dudes Really good group of people. If you'd like to support them, use the code LLP. That's Lima Lima Papa for you military folks, and you'll receive 15% off. So check them out, Koi CBD. Uh, the question is, all right, is it elitism? We'll go over a few, I guess, examples in this particular podcast, uh, Matt. Uh, but then also the other thing is I, I think I can certainly understand the other side of the equation as well, though, uh, where, you know, Recently, when you and I were discussing this uh, subject, Matt, I was kind of talking about how, uh, well, you you had mentioned specifically that, you know, th- being a soldier may not necessarily be the distinguishing characteristic that you move forward and hold it as this chalice and say, hey, well, you know, this is what defines me as a person. You know, right. we were kind of, you know, diving into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and, I mean, that, that, I think that explains a lot. So when you start looking at and I remember the conversation it was about um, our because obviously for those watching and listening, we were uh, former military infantrymen, and um, we were talking about how we were not lifers. When you join the military, um, it's your normal contract is like four years, and then you can re up after that for an additional however many years, um, and then you have guys that decide to stay in the military for life. So if you go in at you know the age of eighteen you can leave the military uh, by 40 um, and, you know, you're retired. Like you did a, a full term service um, and then, you know, obviously you get your pension and all that stuff. So that's kind of that goal for a lot of military that do decide to turn, to turn it in, into a life endeavor. Um, and then you have guys that said, you know what? It was fun. It was great, uh, but I'm done. I'm going to reintegrate. I'm going to go back out into the world. I'm going to reintegrate into society. And that's where you see the, the mindset change. And this specifically came up because there were some very well known, um, you know, f- former military. I guess you could say influencer. I wouldn't say they're content creators. They don't really create content, but they're influencers. They do influence the, the culture and society. And they made some statements. And, but those statements are around, are based off of who their friends are and they're very insulated. So if you're always hanging around people that were always in the military, their mentality is that, uh, it's a very statist mentality because they've never really reintegrated back into civilian life, not for a long period of time, but guys like us, we got out, we did, you know, five or six years and then we've spent more time out of the military living outside of the military than we were in it. So, while our experience in the military military helped shape who I am now, it's not the pinnacle of my life. I'm not basing all of my life decisions off of the experience that I had in the military. It's actually the opposite. I'm using that experience in the military to help make my decisions a little bit better in the civilian world. But I'm not letting it define my everyday actions.
0: Yeah, and I don't actually even recall, you know, the exact words that were said mm-hmm. uh, in regards to that or by whom. It, it was not necessarily somebody that I follow, but I'm, I'm following them now. I, right. Uh, who was that? Again? Um,
1: well, there's been a few. Um, the most recent one. Most recent one was uh, Dakota Myers. He okay. was the uh, the Medal of Honor uh, Marine Corps guy. Um, and you know it brought a lot of outrage over you know the community in general because it was it was a very elitist statement, and I was trying to kind of dance around that because when you're an influencer or a content creator you you have a group of other influencers or content creators that kind of everybody kind of flocks together and they hang out and they help each other out and in this particular case um, it a lot of his friends are life lifelong military guys so they they're using that mentality and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very um i'm trying to be very nice about it i'm not trying to be very disrespectful because I, I he obviously got the medal of honor he had to do amazing things to get that so i'm not disrespecting the medal of honor um but that particular agreement i've uh, that particular
0: statement I did not agree with. Well, you know, I went through that particular Instagram page and I was just looking at some of the stuff he posted and apparently it was like a post-workout type of rant or whatever. But, mm-hmm. well, you know, rants are good. Hey, it's great. It, sometimes it's healthy to get stuff off of your chest. You know, after you've gotten in a workout and you're right. all amped up, you know, and sometimes that's the best thing to just kind of get something out and get it out of the way, you know, mm-hmm. when you're sort of in this hyper-aware state and everything. So I c- I can certainly respect and understand that. And, uh, you know, looking back through that page, I, I did see that, you know, a lot of the stuff he posts, he's just trying to be very supportive of people and trying to uh, get people to kind of see like their inner manhood a little more and to be more outspoken about manhood. And, and mm-hmm. I think those are cool values to put out there. I think that that's a healthy thing that a lot of people could benefit from is having, so to speak, a role model such as him to kind of say, hey, you know, be a man about this. Right. That's OK. Like our society needs that type of situation. Um. So I think, you know, reading into his commentary, which I, I don't have the exact quote sitting right in front of me that I'm not going to try to you know read out on this podcast, or whatever. But just go check out the video that we're talking about on Instagram, the little post-workout thing or whatever. You'll know it'll have all the engagement from all the all the hate. Um, but the one thing I sort of read into was that he's not necessarily saying that, you know, civilians shouldn't own body armor or train or get out there and 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 actually, you know be more involved in, in shooting guns, you know especially in a military like environment, such as the type of training that you're seeing a lot of folks do. I don't think he's he's necessarily saying that that's an issue or a problem. I think that what he's getting at more is the put portrayal that people have of the image that they're trying to portray. And maybe even like uh, suggesting that there are training qualifications in place that, you know, based on the appearance of the person in question. Right. Or based on the gear they use or the training tactics they use, that they're somehow trying to, you know, um, sort of put on the image that they're former military, that they're an operator, that they have these qualifications. And the idea being... For him, it's like, well, to me, the ultimate qualification is going overseas and, you know, close with and destroy the enemy. Well... Yeah, when that's when that's your standard, of course. Uh Yeah. Uh, are there situations where even the elite military members now like, all right, say you've got some young buck that's going through SF training or he's going through his ranger training or whatever. He hasn't been deployed yet. Does that make him any less a, of an awesome dude just, you know, for making it through the training just because he hasn't deployed and gotten a few uh, deployments under his belt? I mean, Think about how active our special forces and ranger community, and just you know anybody, regular infantry, whoever, how active we were in those years, and there was so so much going on with the wars going on. Yeah, so it was a lot more opportunities for people to get out there and and have those crazy life changing experiences. So I don't think he's saying, hey, don't train and be able to protect yourself at all. I don't. I didn't get into the statement in that way. I did not take it that way at all. I just took it more of a you know hey don't don't go around you know posing off this qualification and trying to teach people i don't know the kind of techniques that maybe he feels like you can only learn if you've really been in that type of environment which is probably not untrue you i mean you i could see that <clears throat> and i'll tell you guys i can see both sides i, I guess um,
1: i'll tell you how what i interpreted that as personally i saw when i saw it and you know at at first i was upset uh, because you know When you hear somebody make a statement like that, it says, hey, you shouldn't be wearing body armor, you didn't, basically, you didn't do the same training as we did, you didn't go through the same experience we did, so you can't do it. You can get a little upset, but then you pause and you back up. And I start thinking to myself, well, why? What chain of events took place to make him or anybody record themselves to make that statement? And then you break it down. Okay, so it was a few days before Memorial Day. All right, check. All right, a few days before Memorial Day, and he's a obviously Medal of Honor uh, recipient. He went through some some stuff,
0: and I think and it then, goes without saying that you've yeah, lost people.
1: Yeah, um, and then you just finished a workout, so you're amped. You know, obviously, you don't know. Um, there's probably some lingering PTSD. I think a lot of people suffer from that, whether they it, whether they want to admit it or not, or they're diagnosed or not. Um, when you start combining all those items and all those things, yeah, it's very easy. Just go off the cuff. You're amped up. You're upset. You know, you're, you're right before Memorial day. You will lash out and you'll say some stuff, um, that, you know, maybe wasn't the brightest thing to say, or is based off of emotion at that point. Um, so I don't think he. I, I think he just said that. Um, I'm not. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate because I think later on we are going to dig a little bit more deeper uh, into the weeds on this. I'm just giving
0: him the benefit of the doubt on what yeah. that is. Now, I think all of those outliers. Considering, I mean, I think it's a pretty balanced statement. Yeah. I mean, it, it based off of where
1: it came from. I mean, if you're yeah. just using logic and you're not, you know, grabbing the pitchforks right away because. The one thing you don't want to do is, you know, we always complain about cancel culture and, and you know, wokeness. Don't become the very thing that you're fighting because that's basically what happened. What I saw happen was like, oh, he said this and then like instantly everybody got went and got the pitchforks. But if you just stop and you use your logical thinking and, you know, critical think the idea
0: of what caused this, I think you can relax a little bit. I think so and and i think another good way to look at the situation too is you know whenever we see all of this lashing out within i even hate to say the 2a community because that's such mm-hmm. a broad term like there are different uh, you know types of people in the gun culture from all different types of backgrounds and that's completely okay to recognize uh whatever i'm i'm all for everybody you know exercising their second amendment rights and protecting themselves whatever their community may be, wherever they are, as as long as they're Americans, I want them to be able to protect themselves. That's so right. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, I don't view the Second Amendment as a completely holistic thing, but to, to put the gun community as a whole under such a wide lens, I think is almost a little unfair because there are certain degrees of that uh, gun community. And I'm not saying that people that are just getting into firearms aren't an important part. Yes, they are. Uh, they certainly are, because that is going to essentially be the future of your advocacy is you get this big group of people that just got into the Second Amendment. Uh, they want to be embraced at least enough to where they can feel like any other community. Right. If you uh, say that you decided, all right, I'm going to get into playing tennis or whatever or golf or some random sport or A better example for me would be, all right, I'm going to get into fishing for the first time. I've always been interested in fishing, but I don't think um, I've ever tried it. So I'm going to go buy a fishing pole and some lures and, you know, whatever gear I need. And I'm going to go to the lake and I'm going to try my hand at fishing. Would you really expect anyone that's out fishing to say, you know, hey, you loser, why are you out here fishing? Like, fishing's only for experienced people. And if you've never used a fishing pole before, uh, you shouldn't even try fishing because you'll you'll never be as good at fishing as I am because I've been mm-hmm. fishing for 20 years. And there's no way you're going to be good at fishing in the next 10 minutes. Well, that guy could throw a line out in his first time and catch a giant fish that that guy's, mm-hmm. you know, tried all 20 of his 20 years to catch. What about hunt the deer hunting scenario? Right, deer hunting. I mean, anything. But the, the point is, is the community, right? If you bought. Uh, I don't know, all your gear to go play tennis for the first time or golf for the first time, would you really expect to show up to the tennis court the first time and have some master tennis player say, well, you shouldn't even pick up a tennis racket because you're never going to be me? Well, no. I mean, who would say that? that, That's just not a thing, right? So with the Second Amendment community, Anything that can be taken as, hey, I'm not showing solidarity with um, with other gun owners. We may not always agree on every tiny minutia or, or or approach to how we want to look at the situation. But anything that can be taken like that, I feel like we have to approach carefully. And I think people should have maybe a little bit more consideration that if you say things that hurt the gun community as a whole, as broad as that is it's super broad especially right now there's a lot of diversity in the 2A world right just because uh, you're into guns it doesn't mean you're the military you know ex-military guy or veteran or whatever that might actually make up a really small overall portion of mm-hmm. gun owners you might look at the demographics of overall gun owners and the the super tactical uber veteran crowd might might actually be an extremely small uh, minority in that particular uh, perspective, you know what i mean i'm I'm so glad you brought that up because there's two things
1: that you talked about just now that I wanted to touch on and i'm 'm really glad you mentioned it One was um, you know them being gatekeepers so you didn't say gatekeepers, but when uh, you were talking about why they would why they would act the way they act in the first place um, that you have gatekeepers in the <laughs> community that feel like it's their duty to keep everybody else down while they're in an elevated status um and or be selective about who they let into that exactly exactly and you see that with the with the like training slash like military influencer that goes into that elitism is that very few are not like operators it's like oh there's a select level and you have to be this level and they try to weed everybody out, and I think that's kind of what you saw with that. Yes, mm-hmm. I just discussed that we shouldn't um we should allow ourselves to be critical thinkers and read through that situation with what he said, but it was a gatekeeper move, like without a doubt, because essentially what happened was uh, this person in particularly was like, "Well, you shouldn't be wearing armor and you shouldn't be running drills on the you know because you weren't trained to do it." But how is anybody else going to come up if nobody does it? If only a certain select group of people have officially trained in the military, then you have a finite pool of content creators or future content creators that would be able to pass that on to the next generation. So if you think about it, how
0: many people are in the military? Well, to be fair, okay, Mm -hmm. and this is to go in the other direction on my comment – that I mentioned about, you know, why would a, a fisherman or a, uh, you know, a, a, a new tennis player or a new golfer, okay, why would mm-hmm. they have a problem with someone new coming to the field and and trying their hand at golfing and not be 110% supportive? Well, when you go fishing and tennis, uh, playing and golfing, you don't kill people. Okay? right? So I think the disconnect is that, you know w- – people throw around qualifications and they throw around titles and they throw around this document that says I went to this school or whatever, but it it, it is a different thing. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to talk about. And and rightly so, right? Because there's a lot of things that happen in these terrible situations. Warfare is an ugly thing. And a lot of things happen that are very terrible and very bad things happen. And we try sometimes to repress that stuff. But the fact of it, It's always there and it's always got some sort of an effect on you. Um, So I think it's sometimes someone has been through something so terrible that they may not have a choice on whether or not that defines them, like defines their life moving forward. But maybe the situations that some of these people have been in are so extreme and so terrible and so unspeakable that. You know, it it would be like getting sent back in time, all right, as Kyle Kyle uh Reeves or whatever from, mm-hmm. from Terminator, okay. Yeah. And you killed like the only Terminator on the planet at that time single handedly, right? Like more or less. You know, if there was something that was such a crazy pinnacle militaristic, it'd be like, I don't know, fighting aliens. I mean, something mm-hmm. so outlandish that no other very few people could experience it in that particular way, right? Um it it could be that kind of moment for someone like that it, it, to where they feel like wow i mean can the horrors of war be any worse than what i experienced i mean and there's a lot of military situations throughout you know warfare where, I mean, imagine surviving the war. I mean, don't, you don't think about these crazy battles where, you know, armies took entire other armies and all this crazy stuff. I mean, you think about the ashes and the remains and the people that are left that have to tell what happened mm-hmm. and have to pass that that on, you know. So, uh what was it, Gayden, that said that? Uh, no, who who was it that said that? Uh, military, or let's see, history's written by the victors, or no? It's the, that the uh, the best tactics are passed on by the survivors. Okay, yeah, I think that was Gayden that said that. Sounds said like that. a really good quote. Though. I have to look that up and make sure. <laughs> so at some point when when uh, when Matt takes over the talk, and I'm going to look that up on the computer here and make sure I got that right. But there is a quote that's kind of like that. So. They view themselves in this holistic standpoint as the masters Mm -hmm. and anyone that comes to the table has to have their approval in order to be, uh, you know, considered even anywhere near that camp, whether it is uh, just the the optics of the situation or whether it's the actual training regimen that that those people are trying to put out. I think that's kind of like the, you know, the minutia of of that, at least the way I took that particular, you know, comment. I I wouldn't say it's a negative thing that he said but it is a enfor- reinforcing a reinforcement type of statement. Uh and I would agree. I would say a little gatekeeper, you know, mm-hmm. in there in terms of, you know, hey, this is these are my people. Stay away from them. That's I mean, that's basically what it is. And and then
1: the only reason I, I, I brought that up is because, you know, unfortunately he did uh double down and um you know, when you start ta- saying things like, oh, you know, us our day, us, when you start using possessive nouns on stuff, I get it. Um, you know, again, you know, we're we're combat veterans, but I personally never took it as an us versus them. I've always been more of a, you know, American pro freedom, which is what I also want to talk about. Um a lot of and the, the, I don't want this episode to feel like we're hammering on. Vets, because we're just pointing out things that we see in the community that people really don't point out, and that would be that not all military veterans are pro gun, so when you start seeing um, veterans going into public office and they have a they're they're flying those red colors. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're pro-gun or that they're conservatives. Um, if you start looking at a lot, look right now, um, a lot of the military veterans on the left are either lifers, so they spent 20 plus years in the military, or they spent you know 15 plus years in the military. I, and I think we talked about this before, Eric, because like mainly officers, um, and we run into this sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah very few uh, that aren't, but um, you know they have that status mentality because they've lived that insulated life in the military, so everything is it's a very status mindset, and you have to be very careful of that because I'm starting to see a very large trend of people running for a public office that are using the military veteran on their resume. They're like, hey, I'm a I'm a veteran, I'm for – This, this, and this, but if you actually start digging into their uh, their campaign, if you start looking at what their agendas are, um,
0: they're not necessarily always what you think they would be. I cannot find that quote to save my life, and it's it's going to drive me nuts. But I will, I will find it and and verify that. that It's it's
1: okay. It's a good quote. We're going to stick to it. (laughs) I I think it makes perfect sense.
0: Hopefully, it's not a misquote. But if it is, I'll let you know. (laughs) Well, no, me probably. we'll, We'll
1: just quote it as Eric. So Eric, twenty twenty one. That's right. <laughs> um, but that's really what we're. I'm personally starting to see, and you know, that's where that we have to really be careful about that elitist mentality. Is because you're starting to think of it like, oh, it's us versus them. This worked in the military, so it's going to work for you know the state. And I'm and I'm just always thinking like, no, that's not necessarily true.
0: Well, you know, I, I think that there is a common perception that you know people that are you know, either member of a military or want to be a member of the military or, you know, elitist, statist, you know, sort of this progressive statism that is essentially like a socialism, you know, type Mm -hmm. of existence, right? I mean it really is. Because think in the military, I mean your housing's paid for, your medical care, your insurance, your paycheck. I mean, a lot of them have clothing subsidies and all all different sorts of things. All all enlisted guys. Tons of benefits and everything like that. So it for some, they look at the mothership, right, mm-hmm. from this uh, almost insect way. And I don't mean it in the way that military's insects. I'm certainly not saying that. I, I love our military members. I mean, I'm certainly not saying that. But more of the, I guess, the hive mentality, right? So the military folks end up having this hive mentality, uh, like insects yeah. do, you know, where we go home and we're we're here in our little, you know, beehive or whatever, and everyone's producing. And, you know, I'm never going to have to worry about where I sleep, what I eat, uh, what I wear, how I get around, uh, where I live, you know, all of these things are taken care of so that you can simply function and do your job. And in a military environment, it has to be that way, right? Everything has to be tended to in order to free that person's time up to do uh, whatever their job is. Uh, that, you know, they might need to do, right? That, I mean, that's why the military operates within the hierarchy that it does, right? You know, some, not everybody goes overseas and fights in a war and, and, get, and actually closes with and destroys the enemy in a kinetic environment in a two-way range, right? Some people in the military, they, they want to, uh, you know, be surgeons or they, you know, need to do water purification or construction or sanitary stuff. So just like society as a whole, OK, a military environment is a little tiny society where everyone has a little job and their little role and the things that they do uh, in that given society. The things that are accepted for them to do mm-hmm. uh, in a public environment, you know, they got their own police in the military. You have actual military police. So because it is a little society, it also operates under a very similar type of social construct that you would see in, like, or- organized government. I mean, a military really is just a micro, uh, tiny government, a little society with its yep. own little government, its own little rules, its own uniform code of military justice, right, all of this. It's got its own budget. It's got its own budget. <laughs> so it literally is its own sort of autonomous kind of thing, right? So when we look at the military from that holistic sense, and that's all you've ever known, you know— That's how I believe you end up getting a lot of these um, military members that leave the military, and then they wind up getting into politics, and a lot of them end up being anti-gun. Now, many of them end up being like really pro-gun people, really cool and easygoing in that regard, but I'm surprised about how many veterans I see that actually take the anti-gun stance, and that stance has always surprised me a considerable amount because if you've ever been in an environment where people are trying to destroy you with firearms mm-hmm. or bombs or worse, right? Any number of random things, rockets, or you know, there's lots of ways they can hurt you. But when your <laughs> literal safety is dependent on your relationship with your rifle and your handgun, you know what I mean? Like knowing that if someone occupies the space that you're in and tries to get close to you and kill you, that that's the only thing standing in the way of you and your enemy. How can you go from that stance, knowing how important guns are to survive in warfare, right, and not want to go home and as a civilian have the right to bear, uh, you know, the same arms that the military has? Because as a civilian, is your life not important as well? Well, of course it's important. Everyone's life's important to them. So – you know, even your little tiny military that you live in and your own little life, right? If it's you and your wife and the kids and the dogs, well guess what? That's your little unit, right? That's your little military unit. And it's completely okay to say that your castle is your fort. And and if they get close to your castle and they want to hurt you, well then you're going to you're going to do what you need to do. Is that to say that civilians don't have the same right to self-preservation as the troops do? I mean, that's what you have to ask yourself when it comes to the, some of the statements some of these people make. Uh, when the politician ends up being anti-gun and a veteran, you kind of have to question like where they're coming from at on that angle, because they obviously have to value and understand self-preservation and combat. Why then would you not be willing to you know want your, the very citizens that you claim to have protected in the military, mm-hmm. then you want to come home and vote for, you know laws are going to take their gun rights away? When, when you went over there to fight for rights in the first place? Right. And that's the thing. What, it's,
1: <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you shouldn't be lobbying or putting in legislation to take away any rights. If anything, you should be fighting to restore rights that were taken away in the first
0: place. What did you serve in the military for yeah. but to preserve r- rights? You know, you, you swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and protect the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So does that oath not for life? That's Right. You know, so if you if you upheld an oath to protect the very rights that you're trying to take away as a politician, what does that say about your your real honesty towards your own oath that you took?
1: Yeah. And I, I think the danger is that we have, um, you know, anti-gun or anti-freedom veterans going into politics, which doesn't really jive that well with me. We have to do our part to keep them out of politics and vote in people that we want. And the second thing is like to go back to having those uh, influencers on, and they're making statements about things that you might think are benign. So something and I'm going to I'm going to quote here, but I'm not going to say the person there was uh, I heard on a podcast, um, a very well-known podcast that um, this person thinks that, yes, everybody should own guns which is fine. I believe that as well or you should be able to to you should be able to uh use your second amendment rights. Then they attached but you should be you should have to own a safe and keep it in a safe. All right, that's where you lost me. Is it safe and is it responsible? I'm still to, trying to find that yeah, quote. Yeah, no worries. Is it safe and is it responsible to have a safe and keep your firearms there? Yes. It, is, it would be very safe and very responsible, especially if, if you have children. Should it be required and must you have one in order to exercise your Second Amendment – exercise Where what I was looking for earlier – exercise your Second Amendment rights? No, it should not. It's, it right. is a right. But when you hear someone with a following and they're – they have a very specific community. They will also assume that that is correct, but it's not
0: right and those are the things that you have to worry about It really is. I mean, when you look at just the the totality of of that type of thing, you know it, it's hard to not you know want to draw a very distinct parallel based on what some would consider a very limited scope of knowledge when it comes to, like, maybe just that one thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people that are gun folks, they're also... They do a ton of other things, too. I mean, you're talking about the same guy that puts on a suit and tie and goes to his nine to five white collar job every day. He might be a gun owner. Does that say that, you know, because he didn't do five tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, that he's not qualified to be a gun owner? I don't think that's what he's trying to say at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's important that we definitely foster an environment where people can have open discussions about whatever they think they need to get off their chest. I think that's healthy for society, even if it's something that we disagree with. That's fine, because. I feel like it's a good mental health checkup uh, for our overall holistic sort of mental health to be able to get things off of our chest and to put things out there and discuss it. And, uh, you know, and think about um, society almost like a marriage, right? In a way, it's like if you don't talk about stuff and you don't put in the time to care about the other person and have discussions, well, then how are you going to know when the person's having an issue, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same type of thing. It's normal for people to want to vent. Uh, On a given issue. Now, getting back to the original maybe 10 minutes ago uh, type of uh, part of the conversation that I forgot to go back to, uh, but that I was going to mention is that the reason that we dove into this whole concept just now is because Uh, Getting back to not really wanting uh, the Second Amendment community as a general whole to want to lash out against each other and how broad that community is. I think we definitely established how broad that community can be. Um, And there are other examples that we can use as well, and we probably will as the uh, podcast slash video goes on. Um, But I think it's important that we not create a rift, especially if it's a perceived rift that doesn't even need to be there or that we think we see it from this scope only and the fact of the matter is no one's actually out there trying to do the very thing that that person, you know, is saying they did or whatever. Right. Not to say it hasn't happened or that, that that some of these people haven't tried to portray themselves as veterans or like this stolen valor. Yeah, that's a different story. I, I think though. that's kind of, you know, maybe more of the dig I got out of that is – You know, you don't want someone out there claiming to literally have qualifications that just are not there at all. You know, the stolen valor, uh, that's kind of a concept where someone claims to be a former, you know, special forces or, you know, usually, okay, typically the qualifications are grossly overqualified. Whenever Mm -hmm. someone steals valor, they do it big time. They go, oh, I'm a Medal of Honor recipient and this and that, and I did five or six tours, and I... Did this and did that. Mm-hmm. And they'll do that to try to, you know, get society to think that they're I don't know, some big shot or whatever.
1: Well the, the interesting thing about that is, is with the with the Freedom of Information Act, you're able to actually verify now. So if somebody let's say you're with a trainer and they're claiming to have all of this military training, you can FOIA request their DD two fourteen and it will tell you, they'll, they're going to redact, they're going to redact the social, they're going to redact all the private information, but they'll send you that person's DD-214 if they're a trainer, because uh, you wouldn't, obviously you wouldn't do that for a regular person, but, um and it'll say, it'll give you the schools on the DD-214, it'll have the schools attended, years they went to school, like all that stuff. So, it's that, a pretty detailed document. And, and that has kind of put a lot of... That shit has put a halt to a lot of the uh, trainers out there that are masquerading as, like, you know, Rangers or Special Forces guys because you can call them out.
0: It is very disrespectful to the people that, you know, went through a heck of a lot of effort and training and risked their lives to earn that title. Mm -hmm. It is very disrespectful.
1: And it's a very... I can totally see why you would have that elitism mentality. It's... I mean... When we were younger, I could see it. I mean, you went through something that very, very, very few people have ever been went through. And then that's just like basic training. And then you went to uh, your regular training and then you went to war. So, if you couple those things, you're in a very, very small sample size of people within the world, even smaller within the US. So, you can have that like, you know, holier than thou elite mentality because you've experienced and done things that somebody hasn't done But as you get older, you do kind of grow out. Like me personally, I've grown out of it. And again, it goes back to it not – it becomes less of the highlight of your life and pinnacle of your life and more of just a life experience. And then you go on to
0: experience other things that kind of – Well, that experience molds your future experiences. Absolutely. So the person you are, it's not necessarily – Uh, a product of that exact moment in your life, but more of a cumulative effort of all of the experiences that you've influenced with, you know, and the decisions you've influenced based on that experience, which probably, you know, that's where we get into like, you know, good work ethic and Hey, I get up early. I do, you know, do what I need to do. I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. I take care of things. I show up places on time when I need to, you know, I feel like I can work with a team You know what I mean? So all of those things start to come into play. The values that the military teaches becoming more a part of what you are uh, as well as your own personal views. You know what I think that we were able to do that a lot of people
1: that have that mentality haven't done? And I'm making direct comparisons here. And it's something very simple. It's just like letting go. Letting go and letting that experience be an experience and not something current. Because think about how it is awkward. Like, even when you and I talk about our experiences that happened 15 years ago. So, at some point in time within the last 15 years, we let go of that and didn't hold on so tight. We didn't hold on to it like it's still something that is current. Because obviously, it's not. Well, and
0: and also, to be fair, you know… A a lot of the Special Forces community and a lot of the Mm -hmm. Ranger guys, you know, that that have some really, really dangerous, crazy stuff they're doing, they've probably seen some really, really, really terrible stuff.
1: Absolutely. And that
0: can be really hard. You know, you don't just let go of those things. I mean, our our minds become this Mm -hmm. catalog of experiences, and there's things that our brains store away in our filing cabinet that, you know, unfortunately— you know, a bad situation, you often learn something, right? It's important. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you come out of the experience, a changed person, whether it's for the good or for the better or for worse, right? You know, something terrible happens, uh, there's nothing you could do. And that affects a person. That's and I think very it's very, point. very hard for, you know, someone who's had multiple life changing experiences, not just one deployment or not just, a, you know, whatever. How uh, It doesn't matter you how much you can experience in one deployment can be really crazy, even mm-hmm. just one. But you've got guys that it's become like deploying for them is just, just like a normal thing all the time. And it's just all they're used to. And they collect this. You know, catalog of very terrible experiences, both good and bad. Yeah, I, I and really uh, didn't think about I, that. I I would think it would be very hard to just put that away. You know, you, it never goes away. If if you try to make it go away too hard, it uh, it drives you a little a little up the wall. You know, you yeah. you have to cope. Sometimes you got to you know sit down and have dinner with your demons every now and then. Mm-hmm. Don't just you know say hey wait at the door and then never come to the door. I mean, at some point you have to. You have to greet them and <laughs> accept them.
1: Yeah, you have to a do little. It. Bit. I think
0: acceptance is the thing. Um,
1: you know, and yeah, I, I I failed to look at it that way. About you know, they they did live a much higher tempo, operational tempo than we did. Um, right. So I could totally, I totally could see that. Um, but you know, at the same time, I would say that we do have to. We have to hold them accountable for what they say, but also have to understand, like we said at the very beginning, that there's reasons, yeah. there's, there's root reasons for that happening and we shouldn't take it to heart. Cause I, I don't mean,
0: think that that's unreasonable. Yeah. For me, all. when
1: I saw that uh, after a while, it's like, you know what? I'm, the statements that are made aren't going to affect me. I'm just going to keep living my life. I'm going to keep training. I'm going to keep going out on the range with my, with my LARPing gear and we'll be good. Yep. And it's going to day It will go on. Life will go on. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that that's the best way to be able to, you know, take certain commentaries. Just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's someone's opinion. And, you know, think about any video you've ever made where you've gotten something off your chest and how good you feel to just kind of get it out there and air that laundry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times you get some good, supportive people that are in there and they understand where you're coming from. I don't mean it in like some snowflake way. I just mean it more in the in the positive acceptance kind of way. Like in the military when you when you bust each other's chops and you make fun of each other, mm-hmm. that's how you take care of each other. It's a mental health check. It's okay to bust everybody's chops every now and then. People could stand to, you know, not be freaking cowards all the time when it comes to how easily their feelings are to hurt. People are too sensitive to just a little bit of wrist. Uh, twisting and a little bit of uh, freaking rib punching every now and then. That's okay, right? It's healthy to have a little bit of a fun uh, poke at each other. It helps lighten the mood a little. People have gotten too sensitive uh, and everybody has to be politically correct and everybody has to be woke and all of this mess. I think that the world is a lot healthier place when it's okay to make fun of each other a little bit every now and then. Yep. Right. It's okay to tell an off joke, right? It's okay for someone that doesn't look like you to make a joke to you about people that look like you. Like, it's all right to just joke around with your friends. Because, believe me, in the military, again, it's a different world. It's a different mm-hmm. environment. There are words that you would say in the military that I dare not repeat here. I cannot say it right. But, we're. T- I mean, we call it's each true. other all of the most race, racially driven crap you would ever think and it's just completely out of jest. Just. just. It's, it's, like, it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not real. But in the military, you're in such weird situations together. You know, you're in a, a potentially life-ending situation. Like, you could yeah. die doing something right. How can you not be anything but the most honest you can be? Mm-hmm. And it's like the things that you'll say to each other. Like, if an average civilian or someone that didn't understand, they just don't get it. If they heard the conversation they would be like yeah like their jaw would drop because the thing is the movies when they, they try to get all this this kind of you know if you look at the uh, the movie I think it was what Aliens the second Aliens movie the one where they had the marine corps group the space marines that yeah, went out yeah. to the little you know base or whatever forget which one that was but anyway like they're always trying to get that like you know gear room talk and all that banter that goes mm-hmm. on between military members and they have to tone it down like super <laughs> super low to what you know society accepts is what people really say in those situations because if we were to make a movie <laughs> or a piece of content where we told like we, we just hid a camera inside of a you know a ready room mm-hmm. for like a ranger group well they're probably actually a little more gentleman like each other yeah. than than uh, than the average you know grunts or whatever yeah. but if you went down to just some random bunk room you know, in a, on a military camp and just stuck a hidden camera in the in the corner, you'd you'd be pretty pretty surprised by what you, you do.
1: really would. It's so much so that it's almost like a, a fratern a fraternity house with highly trained guys running around with guns. It's that's so that's, bad. That's it the, is mean, so yeah. bad. I mean it's like pranks, tricks, Ugh. jokes, like just the yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. So much so that when I just left the army, I went I met my my now wife, but we were dating. And <laughs> so bad. We went to, on a date, We she took me to one of her friend's barbecues. And I just got out of the army. So I'm used to talking with, you know, my platoon. And we're like, hey, we're, careful, yeah, we're, like we're like busting chops. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, this is the way it is. This actually loops back in because this is like that mindset of like, it's not like being in the military. So we get there and we're all just kind of, chatting and i'm i like bust out like these inappropriate jokes let's just say uh and they all looked at me and they were like what are you saying (laughs) yeah i was like and at that moment i realized that this is the real world is not like being in the military at all the
0: real world is nothing like being in the military and
1: (laughs) it was like my wife my my now I've looks at me and she was like, oh my God, <laughs> it was
0: terrible, man. It was yeah. so bad. And, and, and every branch kind of has its own version of cruel and, and crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: But, I mean, I, it, it's something that you, it's an experience in life that when
0: you get when you're younger and yeah. I would say that. All right. The Air Force, they're probably more of like the pranksters. They're the kind of guys that are gonna do like clever little dumb things or clever clever and stupid things at the same time, if that makes sense. They're gonna come up with little pranks where you, you know, open up something and shoots out or they put peanut butter under your something that requires door engineering or yes, something. Yeah, like, you so know. the Air Force and yeah. The Air Force would seem like the type that they're more pranks and mm-hmm. funny pictures and jokes and crap like that. And then let's just go over to like the Navy. Like they're the ones that, in my mind, those are the guys that are like they swear like every other word. Like they cuss a lot, mm-hmm. swear like a sailor. Oh, it's yeah. it's totally all about the cussing and 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 the jokes and everything. And then like you get over to the Army, and I feel like the Army, it's more of the, um, I would say it's more of the if if I can use this word, it it it's guys, it's it's literally a scientific word. So please, it's it's a real word. But you look at the homoerotica uh type of thing, uh it's look it, it is what it is but but that's true. how the jokes in the army usually go. Well, I have a good they, story they joke for that. about well, <laughs> you know
1: well they that and they actually like they they will have you hazed very homoerotically as well. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, I got a funny story about that. Yeah, so
0: and and then the Marine Corps, it's like that's when you get more into like the uh jokes about murder and suicide. <laughs> oh. you did so, it. Uh. look, t- to be fair, I mean, look, every branch has got like its group of people, you know. They're all they're all kind of they flock to those given branches for a reason, and it's like if you've ever gotten, you know, a ground grunt like me, in the same room with a, a nuclear submarine operator uh, like Mark Novak, mm-hmm. uh, look, being on a nuclear submarine and being uh, in a tent are two very, very different things, yes. and require two very different minds to sustain. So, the you nailed it with the homoerotic
1: stuff in the army. Because do you oh, me- yeah. do you remember with the cav scouts how they haze their uh,
0: their first lieutenant? I think they duct taped him to a cot. And started like inserting things into him.
1: Well, that might have been a different method. But when they they when we deployed, just they, saying, guys. Yeah, yeah they g- they I mean, got a our calf scouts. We we had a, a really cool platoon of Cav scouts, nineteen deltas, which are very interesting folks, by the way. They walk around with the Stetsons and the Spurs, and they're all cowboys.
0: I can they, always say um, on this podcast about ten percent of what I want to say in regards to this that. is so true.
1: I have to give you the PG version mm-hmm. here. So they got a new. Uh, lieutenant first lieutenant and this is how this is how the hierarchy works with um specialty units so sc- scouts are definitely a specialty unit the platoon leader couldn't tell them couldn't take command of the platoon until he had been indoctrinated into the platoon and to do this they he had in front of the entire platoon had to squat down and pick up a long neck beer bottle with his buttocks with no hands (laughs) and he couldn't take command until he successfully was able to Pick this bottle up.
0: Now, did he have to like move it on an obstacle course or something? No, he just had, he
1: just, and his pants had to be on, which made it even more difficult because you're. Are I, you I, speaking I, from
0: experience? You know? I,
1: I can only imagine that you can't gauge the level of pressure needed to clinch properly with the pants on. So you have, might slip and you might have an accident. So that only led to the the difficulty of doing it. But Needless to say, he eventually got it <laughs> and he was able he was able to put his platoon in formation and take command of his platoon uh after he successfully did that. But nice. that's just something that's very So impressive. when they
0: talk about the stuff you learn in the military, uh just know that there's a very broad spectrum knowledge base. Yes. That it, it goes over a lot of different things, and when you look at getting back to The original commentary, um, okay. When you get into that, you kind of end up finding out that, um, you know, for some, that knowledge base involves some very deadly and crazy things that very few military members ever, you know, have the opportunity or misfortune to have to experience. Okay. So when they're coming from it, from that knowledge base, I think that's healthy. I think that's very supportive. I think that. As a society, we should support people like that to be able to get their voices heard out there and to put their info out there and to say what's on their mind because, you know, I think the mental health of our veterans is very important. And that includes each other. And we're always going to bust each other's chops about it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make fun of each other. And that's normal because that's what we do. And that's when we make fun of each other, it's actually how we tell each other, you know, that we're, they're looking out for him. Right. So it's, it's a sort of unwritten rule of the road in the military is that you, you have to be mean to each other. It's just, you can't, you can't have that kindness taken as a weakness. <laughs> okay. It's true. So you gotta, you got you gotta feel lots of hatred, but, I know we have our own weird way of expressing it, but it's okay, you know. If you need somebody to talk to, and uh, you know, you look at veteran suicides and everything like that. It's very terrible, right? So I think we should certainly support uh, an environment where our military members obviously are able to speak their minds and say whatever the heck they want, whether we disagree, whether we agree with it or disagree with it. It's irrelevant because it opens up a conversation that can lead to a greater conversation, and then greater conversations lead. Uh, to change uh, in culture and change in society, and honestly, as the culture changes, then so do the laws. So when we look at all of these anti-gun laws that we see in front of us and all the ones that are already on the books and then all the ones that are wanting to propose, the way we have to uh, approach this jewel, right, before we we grab it like Indiana Jones and run away with it and have a boulder try to smash us, right, uh, the way we have to view that. Uh, is kind of just in its totality, you know mm-hmm. and looking at it from a lot of different perspectives and uh understanding that to change the culture is how we 're going to change those laws right um you you look at it, honestly we 'll even just quickly get into the the basic uh you know maps that you can pull up that show the amount of uh carry permits and the way that the permitting system has changed over to more like constitutional carry yeah um On the YouTube channel here, if you're following us on YouTube, we'll put a link down in the description box below that sends you to uh, what I'm talking about, this map, uh, these reference maps. Mm -hmm. But they have these maps that show how it's changed over like the last 30, 40 years. And now we have more constitutional carry states than ever. And that amount is growing. Right. So culture has changed to where a wider variety of people see the value in gun ownership, want to carry guns. All right. Now. Crime going in either direction or or this perception of crime and shootings, that's a completely different type of thing. But I'm not even suggesting why someone might be buying the guns or what their overall reasoning would be. I'm not going to assume to know all of those details about every single person. That would be absurd. But you can say that as more people from a wider variety of different backgrounds have become gun owners – uh the culture has successfully changed because now you see more states with uh constitutional carry laws, you see more states adopting statewide uh 2A sanctuary uh yes, rules and things like that. Uh you have other states that are, you know, offering all kinds of incentives like um uh, up in Wyoming, you can actually move if you move your your manufacturing facility to Wyoming. Okay? And you'll get like these awesome tax breaks. And so Mm -hmm. they're actually trying to provide like really great tax incentives for people to bring two a industry to their states. So the 2A as a lifestyle and as a means of our protection and a means of um, us, you know, enjoying a really fun hobby as well. I mean, guns are an awesome hobby. They're a way of life. They're a means of self-defense. They're a means of protection. And there are means of protecting ourselves from a tyrannical government that would mean us harm or as citizens, so when we look at it in that holistic standpoint, again, getting back to it um it, perspective is an important thing, and I think it's an awesome thing that we have social media and that people can put themselves out there and garner a bit of support and uh and and that's how you honestly change hearts and minds is is by changing people's perspective and their attitude towards a certain situation and I think overall, as a whole, people do wind up kind of changing their minds slowly over time as they agree more and more with a given person on a, on a given subject. I mean, that's why they want to censor us so bad, because we're so open and honest. We're, we're almost a little, little too honest yeah. for some people. It's too
1: much for the YouTubes. They like to like the shadow ban folks. Um, no, I mean, that, that's been a great conversation, and I think that we did touch on pretty much everything that... You know, we wanted to, as far as that military elite mentality of like us versus them. Um, the only thing I would probably say is that uh, I'm going to give a shout out to two content creators that I think do a really good job of embodying freedom that are that military um, and they embody that freedom and, and pro 2A. One is Mike Glover. I mean, um, Fieldcraft Survival, they do it. He is probably one of the few um military lifelong, he's been in for quite a while, he was in, that is staunchly two way and he's very open about it. Um and then uh I think there's another one I follow as uh Tony Cowden. He's a operator uh I don't know if he still is, but Great guy as far as his content is. I've never met him personally, uh, but the message is really good. So he's very two way pro freedom. Um, I'm
0: would, definitely a Mike Glover kind of guy yeah, myself. Does, I like his content. Yeah, a does lot. Gr-
1: does great content. Um, but yeah, I would if you guys aren't following them or go check him out there. Got a great I, I think
0: that the message that Mike puts forward is pretty freaking important mm-hmm. cuz he always embraces the sort of philosophy of manhood and what it means to him and what he's developed as his overall, you know, type of persona. Uh but then also approaches it in a in a completely unapologetically pro-two a way which right. is is honestly you wouldn't want to have it any other way. I mean, if a military person's coming to you who's had all these terrible experiences and they're saying Hey, this gun saved my life, right? I love this gun. You know, this this rifle saved me. Hey, guns saved us, right? Not mm-hmm. any situation, but us being armed and protecting ourselves. How can someone put out a two a message that could be any more relevant than that? I mean, because it, again, kind of gets back to the original comment. It's like you know, someone who has literally used guns for self-preservation that's that's an important person to have on your side i guess is my overall uh you know uh, comment there would be with him you know but
1: i mean yeah both of them um but that's really what drew me to it was the fact that you know they i guess that goes back to that whole making that transition from military to civilian mm -hmm. they were able to make that transition and and not just be pro-military you're still pro-military but you're equally pro-americans pro-freedom
0: so you advocate for everything american yep like uh david uh, canterbury is another good Mm -hmm. uh good example of that you know he's former uh former military a really nice guy yeah i I believe he's a vet and everything like a really good dude paul harrell paul harrell yeah Yeah. i I dig paul he's a really cool guy He's real humble about it, real easy going. And uh, I like his perspective. He's yeah, got some good takes. I like that matter of fact. Like, yeah. hey, man, this is like, it's just, if
1: you guys go follow these guys, they're absolutely, they're gems, man. Hey,
0: Paul, Paul's awesome. Yeah. We, we need to do a video with him at some point. I've been yeah. wanting to reach out to him. I've, okay. I've heard he's a little elusive. Yeah. But we'll I'll, make, I'll make see if happy. I can reach out to him. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, we are running a little. Uh, little close on time here on this uh, podcast here today. So we're probably going to wrap things up. We will see you next week. We hope everybody has an awesome week. And I think we really got into the uh, weeds on this subject enough uh, yeah. in terms of, I think we looked at it from both sides of the uh, coin pretty well. Yeah, it was it was enough to, to break open the egg
1: and talk about it without being disrespectful. That yeah. was the goal, was to have the conversation without it be condescending or disrespectful.
0: Yeah, and you don't want either party feeling... You know, like yeah. you're having to be disrespectful to anybody. I mean, there are a lot of people that in the civilian world that do a ton of shooting and, and have logged a lot, if not more rounds than some military guys. So Absolutely. Well, they use those guys to help train them for like remedial training. Sure. You know, all the time. Absolutely. So, um, guys, we will see you next Friday. Many more episodes here on Life, Liberty and the Pursuit. Live free. Be happy. Live in freedom. And we will see you next Friday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.